for a whole lot longer, so getting close to the end of the Psalms. So we'll start with our summary statement here. Psalm 134 praises Yahweh and blesses the people who worship him in Zion. go over that one more time. Psalm 134 praises Yahweh and blesses the people who worship him in Zion. Um, I did make a simple outline for the psalm, even though, again, it's only three verses, but uh, verses 1 and 2 are a call to praise. And verse 3 is a blessing pronounced. So go over that one more time. Verses 1 and 2, call to praise. Verse 3, blessing pronounced. All right, so we'll go to our observations. Psalm 134, it is an anonymous psalm. Uh, you can see the superscription there, a song of degrees. Um, there's no author attribution there or in the text of the psalm. There's no musical direction that is given beyond the term in the superscription. There's no occasion given for the writing of the psalm. Now, the vision of the psalm um, is a future scene of gathered worshipers departing from Zion and from the presence of the Lord. In other words, it's, it's like the, the pilgrimage has, has taken place and all have been gathered to Zion and now they're, they're turning to return to um, their homes. And so um, there's a, a direction to praise the Lord and there's a blessing that is pronounced on them. And of course, again, this is a, a future scene that has not yet um, occurred. To categorize this psalm, Psalm 134 is a psalm of ascent. And so those, uh, the psalms of ascent began in Psalm 120, uh, running through Psalm 134. So this is the last of the 15 psalms of ascent. Um, there are some minor elements here. Um, obviously, praise, uh, a praise psalm. We do have a call to praise um, we do have a reason to praise in verse 3, the Lord that made heaven and earth, God as, as creator. And then, and then we have a concluding blessing. Um, so we do have some of those praise elements that we've seen in, in standard praise psalms. Um, this is also a Zion psalm, as you can see the reference there um, at the end in verse number 3. And we could also add prophetic predictive, um, as again, it it's envisions a future scene of something that will take place, but something that has not taken place yet. Psalm 134 does connect with the other Psalms of Ascent. <coughs> Excuse me. So we've talked about how this group of Psalms has sort of a flow to it. As you, as you read through these Psalms, you're going, to see, um, you're going to see some change. You're going to see some movement through these Psalms. 
And so um, some of the themes that have run through have been like exile, the end of exile, restoration of Israel, restoration of Zion, um, those sort of themes. And they sort of all come uh, to a culmination here in this psalm. You have reference to the house of the Lord, um, like we saw in Psalm 122, 127, and 133 in this group. Reference to God as creator, the maker of heaven and earth. Um, Psalm 121, Psalm 124 also. Um, The blessing from Zion, um, which Psalm 128, Psalm 132, and Psalm 133 um, prior to this. So as you read this group of psalms, these 15 psalms, Psalm 134 stands as the conclusion, and not, not just because it's at the end, but, but when you read them as, as a group, it's a very fitting conclusion. So if you think about the way that the Psalms of Ascent are put together, you have 15 Psalms, and essentially the way they work is that you have seven, and then you have a central Psalm, and then you have another seven. And so if you sort of take that um, larger, larger structure of, of this group as far as their canonical order, um, the first seven would be Psalm 120 through Psalm 126. And you read those psalms, and those psalms open up with exile and distresses of exile in Psalm 120. We have reference to, flight, to enemies like a flood in, in Psalm 124, You also have in those psalms a lot of looking forward, looking forward to promises. So help comes from Yahweh, and it's being looked for in Psalm 121. There's hope for the house of Yahweh and for the house of David and David's throne in Psalm 122. And in Psalm 126, we get the hopes of restoration. All right, so that brings us, um, we also have the promise that, the wicked will not reign over the righteous, the lot of the righteous, the inheritance of the righteous in Psalm 125. And then we hit that central, that central psalm in this group, which would be Psalm 127. So it's, it's the eighth in, in the collection, comes after the first seven, before the second seven. And in Psalm 127, we learn how that Yahweh will build the city and will build the house. So we have the restoration of Zion or, or Jerusalem that is in view. We also have um, the, the restoration of the temple as essentially the seat of the throne of David and the throne of, of the Messiah. Um, and then you, then you come to the second seven of the Psalms of Ascent, and that's Psalm 128 through Psalm 134. So as you read those Psalms, you, we get we pick up this sort of this thread that goes through those who fear Yahweh uh, are, would be those who are in covenant relationship with Him and they will be blessed. Psalm one twenty eight. Um, we get an assurance of Yahweh's covenant with David and his dis, and the, that his descendant will sit on his throne um, over a united Israel forever. Psalm one hundred thirty two. The wicked will, will be judged, those enemies and, and, and such, uh, Psalm 120, uh, 129. The tribes of Israel will be gathered, they'll be united, and they'll be restored in Psalm 133. And then finally in Psalm 134, the conclusion, Zion is the center of worship and the source of blessings. So again, 
Uh, it's a very fitting conclusion as you read through these psalms, just sort of touching on the, the highlights as you look at this as a group. All right, so the poetic features of Psalm 134, um, one of those would be some repetition. You get the word bless in each of the three um, verses. You, when you look at this psalm, you notice that there's not uh, really imagery in the psalm. You get a lot of physical description in, in the psalm. So you get reference to all the servants, uh, the ebeds, which are the bond servants, the bond slaves. All the servants that by night stand in the house of the Lord. There's a command to lift up hands in or toward the sanctuary and blessings come from Zion. So, so everything here is not some um, ethereal, um, cloudy sort of, of dream or obscure sort of vision. Th- these are, are all tangible, physical realities. And this psalm really brings that out in, in the way that it, that it speaks, not using figurative language and symbolic language and, and all those sort of things, but just hard and, and fast physical realities comes through in this particular psalm. Uh, another feature of this psalm would be the use of what we might call echoes or um, sort of intertextual references. This psalm only consists of 23 words in the Hebrew. It's very, very short. Um, but the words and the phrases and the concepts that are in this psalm pretty much all appear in other psalms. So it's, it's, it's almost like taking a, taking a, a stock of, um, I, I forget now, was that, uh, was that Dr. Seuss that began with the, with the challenge of using only so many words and had like a pool of words to, to, to come from? And of course, he made up some and made those children's stories. I, I may be getting that all wrong um, and probably shouldn't be comparing that to the Psalms. Never mind that. So it's almost like you've, you've got just sort of a, of a stock or a catalog, you know, of, of phrases and concepts and such that are in the Psalms. And the writer of, of Psalm 134 has sort of just chosen from those and, ha- and has put those together um, in this particular Psalm. And so that makes it somewhat um, unique in that sense. Um, all right, so let's, um, let's work our way through here. We have three verses. So go ahead and read these. Behold... Bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord that made heaven and earth, bless thee out of Zion. So verse number one is the opening call to praise. And we get this opening interjection, you know, behold, take heed, pay attention. Um, It's common within this, this term is common within this group of psalms. We see it in Psalm 121 and verse 4, Psalm 123 and verse 2, Psalm 127 and verse 3, Psalm 128 and verse 4, Psalm 132 and verse 6, Psalm 133 and verse 1. So it, it appears quite a bit. These, these, are, usually, um, these are usually preceding some, some sort of, of prophetic type of, anou- of announcement. Um, you know, pay attention, pay attention, take, take heed, um, listen up, that sort of thing. Now, the word for bless, um, we've encountered it a number of times in the Psalms before. Uh, it comes from a root meaning to kneel. And so it's a, it's a word that it's, it's a direction to worship, to praise the Lord. And, and this was something that um, for quite some time in, in my younger days, I, I, the phrase bless the Lord always seems so strange to me. Um, like how can I 
you know, am I wishing good for the Lord? Am I giving him some sort of benefits? I mean, how, how am I blessing the Lord? Um, but what it actually has to do with is, is worshiping and, and praise. Um, and again, it comes from a root that literally means to, to kneel or bow before. Um, the word for servant, um, it is the word for bond slave. Um, it's equivalent to the doulos in the Greek. It is ebed um, in Hebrew. Now, contextually, when this word is used this way, servants of the Lord and, and these reference to the house of the Lord and such, it usually refers to priests or Levites, um, and then even later, the, the singers that were, those that were dedicated to temple service in some way, um, it's, is the way that, it, that it's typically used. And this reference to standing by night in the house of the Lord indicates a continuity of worship. And so you can go back in, into the Old Covenant and, and look at the tabernacle and temple services, um, and you can see uh, some of the things that would be taking place um, during the night. But essentially, again, it's just it's indicating a continuity of, of worship. It, it's like the it's like saying the 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 worship that that just never ends. It just never stops um, of Yahweh. So this verse actually pairs very well with Psalm one hundred twenty one and verse number four that mentions that how that the Yahweh that keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And here now we have the praise of Yahweh that is. Um, continuing by night in the house of the Lord. Verse number two then continues this call to praise, and we get this direction, you know, the lifting up of the hands. Um, Now, the lifting up of hands is something that is associated with worship, and typically it's in some sort of a reference to prayer. Um, the lifting up of, of the hands in prayer to God. Now, the word for sanctuary refers to um, the holy place, um, typically the place of Yahweh's presence. And lifting up your hands in the sanctuary, it's, it's um, grammatically, it's, it's saying maybe more toward the sanctuary, um, something, of, something of that nature, toward the, the presence of, of Yahweh. And in verse number three, gives us the, the concluding blessing of the psalm. So we get this reference to the Lord making heaven and earth. And so a reference to the Lord as creator means that he is the maker and the sustainer of, of all things. And so that means that all blessings come from him. He, he's the, he is the sole source of all that is good, and he is the sole hope for all that is good to come. Um, and so this is a sort of this sort of just imports um, the theology of, of God as, as creator. So it's a very a very hefty reference in that sense. And blessing out of Zion goes along with the, the theology of Zion as we've seen it developing particularly in the Psalms. Um, Zion is the center of worship, and it is the center of blessings, and particularly in the Messianic kingdom. All right, so we go to interpretation. So Psalm 133 envisions the future kingdom when Zion on the earth will be 
the center of worship and blessing, which is not only the case for Israel, but also for all the nations of the earth. And so this is sort of tapping into um, a, a theme that has run through the prophets. And, and I'm going to read one passage here th- that captures and refers to this time. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So this is a passage that's referring to a time that clearly has not existed as yet on this earth. And it's, it's a time referred to In other passages in Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 10, chapter 27, verse 13, chapter 49 and verse 6, chapter 60, verses 11 and 12, uh, Jeremiah, chapter 3, verse 17, Malachi, chapter 3, verse 12, it's also referred to in Zechariah, and and we run into it again in the book of Revelation there, um, toward the end of Revelation. So there there is clearly in, in Scripture a prophesied time when Jerusalem will be restored and it will be exalted and it will be the seat of the king that is the son of David on David's throne. He will rule over um, Israel and and Judah that have been um, united, all the tribes of Israel in their land that has been promised and from there will rule over all the nations of the earth. And we're told how that the the nations. Uh, I think the maybe it might be the uh, it might be the Isaiah chapter sixty reference there um, that talks about how the gates will will never be shut by day or night. Why? Because the the nations are going to be continually streaming in and out because they're going to be coming to worship the King in Zion there at Jerusalem and those of of Israel from the outlying areas around Jerusalem, out to the extents of all the land that was promised to Abraham, they they will be coming in and out and they will be worshiping the king. So this is is what is being envisioned in this psalm. And and it is, again, it's, it's it's a very appropriate conclusion to the psalms of ascent that have been all about this pilgrimage, all about this going up to Jerusalem, this ending of the exile and, and this gathering and, and restoration of, of Israel and Jerusalem and Zion will be the center of worship in that future kingdom. And they'll be going out, they'll be coming in um, from Zion. And so again, this is what this, this um, psalm pictures um, and this blessing that is pronounced on all of those that come up to Zion and worship. And I, I think it may be one of the um, Isaiah passages 
uh, that also talks about that if any of those nations do not come up, remember it says that at that time that Jesus Christ will be ruling the nations with a rod of iron and there, there will be swift judgment and punishment of any sort of wrongdoing in that kingdom. And it's one of the ways that, that we know that there is clearly a time here when there is what you might call an intermediary kingdom. Because you have Jesus on the earth reigning from Zion, from Jerusalem, and reigning over nations who are, are punished for any wrongdoing. Well, that clearly is not the eternal ages because there will be no sin in those eternal ages. There will be no wrongdoing. And it's clearly not this time now nor any time in the past because Jesus is not sitting in Jerusalem on David's throne right now. So this psalm is, again, it's a very fitting conclusion. Um, we see it building up to that messianic kingdom and of course that brings us to the messianic hope of the psalm which is is seen in the fulfillment of the zion restoration hope that has been so prevalent in the psalms of ascent and just as we noticed as you read through those psalms as a group you start out with with exile you start out with faraway places um kadar and 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 Mesic and these faraway places from Jerusalem. And as you proceed through the group of the Psalms, we start getting the mention of Jerusalem and Zion more and more. And there's a heavy concentration toward the end um, of the Psalms of Ascent um, pertaining to Zion. Now, so throughout the Psalms, we've seen this. We've particularly seen this in the Psalms of Ascent. And you might say, what is that, what is that key ingredient? When we're looking at this psalm, we got all this physical description and that this is a, a physical, tangible reality there in Jerusalem in Zion. And Zion will be exalted. It will be the destination of worship as well as the source of blessings to all of the earth. And why is that? Well, that is because God's anointed son king, the one who is David's son and David's Lord, will be installed there, will be seated there on David's throne, ruling over all Israel and all the nations of the earth. And so, again, this, this is the messianic hope because this only comes about when the house of David is restored and when the crown of, of David is, is raised from the dust, when the crown of, uh, and the throne of, of David um, is restored, and this only comes about when the anointed son of David reigns and sits upon that throne. So that certainly um, speaks of the messianic hope of the psalm. All right, so we'll go to application. So again, we're reading a psalm that's clearly a, a future vision, and how do, you know how how do we? Um, understand it, how, how does it apply to us today as, as we read this psalm? And um, I, I stuck with one primary application here, that understanding Psalm 134 does help us understand the time that we live in. So just as I was talking a few moments ago about this intermediary kingdom that's obviously a future kingdom, so we can we can, sort of, we can sort of trace sort of in some broad outlines that, okay, this is where we are right now. 
um, if, if we get on a plane and go over to Jerusalem or take a boat, if you want to get there slower, however you want to go about it, if you go over to, to Jerusalem, you're not going to find David's throne and you're not going to find Jesus Christ sitting on that throne. He's not there right now. Psalm 110 makes it very clear he's sitting at the Lord's right hand in heaven, of the heavenly throne, until that, until that time that he will come and take possession of the earth as his inheritance. So we're clearly in a time when this is not the case. So this psalm looks forward to a future time when the worship of the Lord will be physically located in Jerusalem, in Zion. People, nations from all over the earth in that time will be going up to Jerusalem to worship the king. Well, because the kingdom had not come, Jesus told the Samaritan woman that worship was not located, centered on any geographic location of the earth. So think about what he said here. John chapter 4, verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. In other words, that's the time that we live in. Today, there is not a physical location on the earth that is the center of the worship of God. We don't make a journey to Jerusalem. We don't make a journey to any place up on the earth in order to worship God. But that will be the case when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom and sits on David's throne in Jerusalem. Well, then Jerusalem will be that center of, of worship, and people will go up um, to worship him. So there's going to be a time when all the nations will journey to Jerusalem to worship the king there, but today we don't worship at a specific place. Now, churches, of course, uh, which we know from um, understanding the New Testament, well, th these are assemblies um, where, where people, where believers, baptized believers come together, um, and, and we do come together for worship. But my, my point is, is that it's not necessarily here. We, we, we could be meeting somewhere on the other side of, of, of town. We could be meeting somewhere on the other side of the river. We could be meeting somewhere else. We could be meeting in a, in a building that we rent. We could be meeting in a, in a field. We could be, I mean, we could be meeting in all sorts of places. This, this, this is not the holy sanctuary um, unto God. This is a, a building that has been um, dedicated as, as, a, as a place uh, of use for, for our assembly and for, our, uh, for us to get together and we, we come here and worship God, but, but we shouldn't mistake that with thinking that, that this is a, is a replacement of the temple or this is a replacement of physically located worship like what it will be in Jerusalem. So again, it, it, it does help us to understand the time that we live in 
how that we worship God today and what we are looking forward to, what is going to happen in the future and in the kingdom. All right, so that is Psalm 134. Any questions on um, anything we've been talking about here tonight? Mm-hmm. Um, well, so the, so the word does have kind of a range of meaning um, in the fact, in fact, the same word is used at the end of verse 3. It is in a different form in verse 3. When the Lord is blessing us, it is in a different form than what it is earlier when, you know, we are blessing the Lord, so to speak. Um, but I think the probably the nearest New Testament equivalent um, would be when, for instance, in the Gospels, um, when someone approaches Jesus and it says they worshipped him, and generally what, that, what, what is being said there is actually they kneeled, you know, they bowed in some way um, before him. And I think that same term is used in... Um, revelation I think when John was going to like bow before the angel and the angel told you know told him not to do it um, sort of thing so that I think that would probably be uh, I didn't I haven't checked to see what particular term that was used in the Septuagint but I would think that would be the probably a, a close equivalent